Well, here we are, the last 11 verses of John, 21 chapters. We started on April 14th of 2013 with John. We took a few breaks along the way. We uh, did an Advent series uh, called Do You Believe? We kind of tied into it. Uh, at Christmas, we took a break. At Lent, we did a few different themes around uh, the image of journey and some stewardship stuff. We had a few guest speakers along the way. Pastor Diana did three of the messages on John, and I did the other 49. There's 52 sermons on John. And this is the final message in the series. I wish I got in the middle of it, and I was working on it, and went, oh my gosh, I, be, I should be doing something more and something bigger. We should have testimonies about how this has transformed your lives and, well, not the sermons, but anyway, um, but we're just going to look at these last 11 verses, and what's exciting about this whole thing is what it says to the church. It really is a motivation out to the church here at the end in chapter 21, which we'll get to. We've called this series Believe, Simply Believe, and we've based it on this summary purpose statement that we saw in John 20. Where verses 30 and 31 say this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing, we talked about what it means to believe. That We learned that believing here is more than just acknowledging that something exists. We learn that it's more than just something we know and accept as true. We don't just believe in a truth. The, the verb form, it's the verb form we found in the original language of faith. It means trusting. It means following. Belief here is to put trust in and to believe in uh, the one whom God has sent. So we believe in the Son of God. And in that belief, in that act of trusting and following, we have life in his name. And while that's the summary and the purpose statement of John's gospel, the best-known verse in the whole book, perhaps one of the best known verses in the whole Bible, as far as a memory verse, uh, is itself really a summary of the work of God in Christ. You know the best, known, what's the best known verse in John? It's John 16, John 3:16. You'll see that at some football games today, probably in the stands, but anyway, uh, but you know what it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And again, even in that statement, there's this powerful love of God, but believe, do you see how believe is central there as well? Whoever believes, this offer goes to all of the world that God loves, and whoever responds to that in belief by simply putting trust and faith in Jesus will have eternal life, life with a quality to it now as well as eternal life with him. His love for the whole world, the people that he created, love that comes to us in Jesus, love that transforms us and then empowers us to love others with the love of God. And that's really what it comes back to in these final verses, these last 11 verses. Let me go back for, uh, for a few minutes to where we were two weeks ago today. Last week was one of those above-mentioned guest speakers. Thanks for being here to support Tom Bainey. He's a good friend of our church and appreciated that he was able to preach. So Diane and I were uh, both able to be in different places on vacation. But two weeks ago, we were in the first part of chapter 21, and we began by asking the question, why is there a chapter 21? Because chapter 20 wraps up with the, the resurrection, the, the, the doubting Thomas, the expression of faith of Thomas, and then these wonderful summary verses of, this is why I wrote this, ta-da, the end! And then there's chapter 21. And so we looked at why is there a 21? Why not stop at the end of 20? Well, there are a couple great stories in here. And some, so the question is, were they just tacked on? Some think they were tacked on later by some friends of John or whatever. Is this just an appendix with a couple more stories, many other signs? Was it even written by John at all? Some have asked, which it's very clearly John language and references here. 
What we discovered is that there is an important purpose for this chapter. We discovered that John 21, in a sense, is John's version of the Great Commission. It's John's version of what the church is to do now. As he, as he gives it to the disciples and particularly focuses in on Peter, their focus is on what the church is to do now. Here's this great book, this great literary piece that lifts up Jesus as Son of God, the one in whom we put our faith and trust, and now the church is to take it. We find that in this chapter, it becomes couched in the symbolism, first of all, of the great catch of fish, couched, first of all, in the symbolism of fishing in the first 14 verses, and today it becomes couched in the symbolism of Peter and the care of the sheep and the lambs, caring for the church, nurturing and equipping the church. So rather than an appendix, we included that it's more of an epilogue. It's rounding out that conclusion. And in this case, it's taking that conclusion and purpose that we believe and have life in Jesus. It's taking that conclusion and taking it to the church and its responsibilities in the world now. And in these final verses, it's all wrapped around this transforming love of Christ. So here's what we say this morning. Serving as epilogue... John 21 takes the gospel's powerful purpose in John 20 and turns it towards the mission of the church in the world. This great purpose of Christ and turns it now to our mission, the mission of the church in the world. Like Peter in this passage, we are transformed by the love of Christ as we follow and as we serve Jesus and serve his church. That's what I hope to do with this on this final installment in this uh, series. We're going to look, first of all, of our love for Christ. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Taking Peter to a deeper place, we're going to look at the deepening of our love for Christ. Secondly, we're going to look at the love of Christ for us, which is a transforming love for Peter as well as for us. And then thirdly, we'll look a little bit at what this means in terms of the work of the church, the work that in this passage we're called to, the work of fishing, the work of feeding, and the work of following Jesus. I didn't come up with those three Fs. They're in the passage. Just want you to know that. So even John was a little alliterative here. Well, it's in English. But anyway, our love for Christ we begin with. The scene is the same as where we left the disciples and Jesus two weeks ago. They've caught a miraculous number of fish, and now they're enjoying breakfast prepared for them by Jesus himself on the beach. Verse 15 then turns a corner and says that they have just finished. Verse 15 says they've just finished breakfast. Somebody was doing the dishes. And Jesus turns to Peter, though, and asks him a big question. Simon, son of John... Do you love me more than these? It's a question of, of size or comparison. More than these. How, how big is Peter's love? How big is our love? First, we need to figure out just what Jesus is asking of Peter. More than these, these what? It's not entirely clear. The options have to do with, 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 with how big the love is, but bigger than what? Than these things that Jesus sort of uh, gesture out at the boat and the fishing equipment and the nets and, and all this stuff and says, do you, do you love me more than all this stuff? Are you prepared to give up this that has been your livelihood, this, this career that has provided a, uh, an income for you and comfort you? Are you willing to give this all up? Do you love me more than this stuff? That's, that's one possibility. Or it could be that when he did his hand, do you love me more than these? And he pointed to the disciples. Do you, more than, do you love me more than... These disciples, um, then you love these disciples. You love me more than these, more than you love these friends of yours that you work with. Or more likely, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And that's likely because Peter had already more than once declared that kind of big love. In a sense, Peter had said a few times, nobody loves you as much as I do, Lord. Nobody will go as far as I will for you, Lord. Yes, a little impulsive, but it, it came from a heart of response to this one that he loved and wanted to follow. 
In Matthew's gospel, Matthew records that at the Last Supper, in that upper room, Jesus said to him, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Words that Peter obviously reflected on after he did. (laughs) Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And John himself records at that upper room in chapter 13, right after the foot washing, just before Jesus predicted his denial. You know what Peter said right before Jesus predicted his denial? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, oh, no, you won't yet. But Peter has expressed this great love, and now Jesus is calling him back to that, saying, Peter, now do you love me like that, more than these love me. And I don't believe at all that Jesus is putting this in Peter's face or putting him down. Rather, I believe that Jesus is calling him to a deeper, deeper love, a big love that will empower him for the ministry of feeding and caring for sheep and lambs and the church that Jesus is entrusting to him. Jesus is not putting this in his face, but calling him to this deeper love. And that's another question here. How how deep of a love? Some of you may know if you've studied this before or heard sermons on it before, that there's actually two different words for love being used between Jesus and Peter here. Jesus asked the first two questions, do you love me, do you love me? And we saw it in the the closest we get in the English translation, do you truly love me? But that's the word agape, and you've maybe heard that word before. That's a a, a big kind of love. That's a a self-giving love that's almost more of an act of the will even than it is an act of the emotions. That's agape love, a a self-giving act of the will, that kind of love. But Peter answers all three times that, Lord, you know I love you, and uses this word phileo, which is also a love. It's a, it's a fondness. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's like a, more a natural affection for something, but it's often more tied to emotions. We know that word phileo from uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Adelphos is brother, phileo, love. So that's where that word comes from. So Jesus, the first two times, says, do you love me? Do you love me? And the third time, he says, do you phileo me? And, Jesus, and Peter says, yes. Well, this is a big question. This has been debated uh, through the centuries about is there a significant difference between these two words? What is John getting at here? Is one better and deeper than the other? Is, 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 is Jesus trying to get Peter to this agape one and all he can kind of conjure up is this phileo one? And really, in a sense, that's what I've been taught and believed for many years that, you know, oh, poor Peter, poor impulsive, he's just not there yet. All he can do is this kind of love when Jesus said, do you really love me? This kind of love. Although when we start to study literature, we find out that the two words often are interchangeable in English translations, and, or in the Greek, and then in our English translations. And that Peter, we already know from John's literary style that he sometimes will choose different words just for the sake of literary variety. It's like when you write a thank you note. You can say thank you so many times, but sometimes you shift to, and I'm so grateful for, and I really appreciate, and so I thank you. And they all mean the same thing, even though the definitions might be a little different. John does that in his literature. And there's good examples where he even interchanges these words. So I'm really not sure just how significant the difference of the words is. What I am sure of, though, is that Jesus is loving Peter deeply here. He is not criticizing him. He is not chastising him. He is loving Peter deeply. He is not demeaning him or communicating disappointment. He is building Peter up and he is taking Peter to a deeper love. In the language of our series that we start a week from today, Peter is on the way. He's on his way. He's learning. He's believing. He's deepening his love. Sometimes Peter's love is flawed by when his humanity gets in the way. Sometimes Peter will be loving Jesus with an all-out expression of his will, and it will be a full-blown agape love. And sometimes he will slip, and he will fail, 
He will make mistakes in his love of God. And sometimes he will just respond with his heart and emotions, and it will be a phileo kind of love. But Peter is on his way. Jesus here is deepening his love and his commitment to the church. We might even say that Peter's in process, and his process is our process. Peter's process is our process. Peter is dealing with deep regrets and failures. Peter is dealing with embarrassment. And sometimes we will do that too. We will deal with the things that hurt deep inside and the places where we've said things or done things that we're embarrassed of and we don't want to admit. And yet Peter here is amazed and moved by the love and the grace of Jesus. And the more we experience that love and grace, the more we deeply fall in love with Jesus, it will not just be in a fond, emotional way. And sometimes we need the emotions to kick in, don't we? But it will be in a profound way that affects our will and how we act. Sometimes the love of God will move in us in such a way that it will affect the decisions we make and the way we move through our life. We are a people who have a deepening love for Jesus, but it's not always perfect, is it? We are in process. And Peter's process of deepening his love is the same process that we're in as well. And as we look at Psalms 120 through 134, these psalms that the Jews sang to each other as they went up to the temple, they have different themes of discipleship that come in saying, we're just on our way. None of us has it all together. But the love of God is at work transforming us and changing us. And that's where I want to go next here, to the love of Christ, a transforming love. We saw it starting in the first part of John 21 with the big catch of fish. It was simply a gift of Jesus, of joy and exuberance for Peter. Peter's still feeling badly about the denials, and yet Jesus says, hey, I got something for you here. Not 154, not 152, 153 fish. Surprise! It's really almost what Jesus is doing here. It's this abundant gift of of great joy. And it starts to sort of renew Peter at that point when he jumps in the water to swim to Jesus, realizing this incredible gift that he has given to him. But now in these final verses, the shift and the focus becomes more and more on Peter himself. And what's happening here, I believe, is that through the transforming love of Jesus, Peter is being restored. Peter is being reinstated. There's a restoration going on here as Jesus asks this question and Peter affirms his love for Jesus. Peter had made a huge and terrible mistake. Peter had made a huge and terrible mistake in the denials of Jesus. He had said, I will lay down my life for you, and he did not. He denied his Lord. All four Gospels record this. Not that many stories make it in all four Gospels. This one made it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke picked up on it and go, do you remember that terrible thing that Peter did? And John goes, oh, do I remember? I'm the beloved disciple. I wrote it in my book. They all wrote it down. It was a story of failed courage. It was so well known. And it wasn't even just the fact that he denied him. But Luke, as Luke often does, picks up on some of the more tender details. And Luke reports that as he made the third denial, he looked and Jesus was looking at him. And Peter goes outside and weeps bitterly. This was huge. This was an area of brokenness that was hard to heal from. Huge pain, huge inner agony over this. How could Peter ever, ever go on? But that's what's happening here. Jesus' love is transforming and restoring Peter. This explains why there are three questions. The same number of times that Peter denied Jesus. Jesus gives Peter three chances to affirm his love. Do you love me? You know I love me. Do you love me? You know I love me. Do you love me? And Peter is feeling the hurt of it on the third time. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know how deeply and how much I want to love you 
even more. Jesus, in his gracious forgiveness, gave Peter the opportunity to wipe out the memory of the threefold denial with a threefold declaration of love. Jesus, in his grace, has given him the opportunity to wipe out the memory of those three denials with three opportunities to claim and declare his love for Jesus. Gary Burge, in his commentary, does a wonderful job of explaining how Peter could have continued in ministry even if he hadn't dealt with this stuff. He could have continued in ministry for Jesus and yet, and yet would have been doing it more out of a sense of, of, of hurt than a, in a place of joy. And Jesus called his disciples to joy. Oh yeah, he could have gone ahead and he could have, been, he could have kept the facts and kept the truth and he could have been energized to do ministry, but he would have been doing it out of that sense of sort of, a, of obligation. Sort of that sense of, um, boy, I've really got to make up for. I, that, that's it. It's a motivation to do life based on what I'm making up for. I'm really, I, I, heart, I really know I'm really a horrible person. So if I work really hard for Jesus, maybe I'll make up for it. But eventually that would have undermined over time the ministry of Peter. Or Peter should have, could have simply done what so often we're tempted to do. He would have taken this horrible guilt and this pain and put it in a little box and tucked it away in a corner of his life. And figured if I put it out of the way and I don't think about it very much, it won't affect me. And I'll continue on. I will serve this Lord I love. I will follow through on my word. I will serve the church. But this, this thing doesn't go away, does it? It would have eventually taken Peter to a place of, of, of anger and discouragement and bitterness and hurt. Taking all of the joy out of ministry and serving. Because he'd never gotten over the shame and the hurt of what he'd done. And Gary Burge says, but Jesus would have none of this. And he gives him the gift of joy. He gives him 153 fish. And he gives him this opportunity to restore his love and to get rid of that little box of pain. Peter's lesson here to all of us, I say it's the healthy leaders, but all of us that are in any kind of area of ministry, of volunteer or paid or whatever it is, Peter's lesson here is deal with the stuff. Let Jesus deal with the deep stuff. The stuff that causes us shame. The stuff like for Peter that are some destructive memories. We can't quite forget that horrible thing I did or that horrible thing that was done to me. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it, and it, it kind of stews and it becomes a bitterness or a resentment. And Peter would tell us today, trust Jesus to forgive it. His love and his forgiveness are real and genuine. He asks us to release it. God will never say to us, get over it. He will say, give it to me. We say that to each other. All I ever heard about is her terrible childhood. I wish you would just get over it. You know, maybe that terrible childhood needs to be dealt with and given to Jesus. Pray for her that way instead of telling her to get over it. God never asks us to get over it, but to give it to him and then to get on with this life of joy that he calls us to. We're called here with Peter, I think, would encourage us to trust Jesus, to forgive, to release, to, to heal, to accept him, to let him come in and power and transform us. To bring a, a genuine joy, not just a pasted-on joy. Well, we're supposed to serve Jesus with joy, but nobody knows how hard my life is. No, it's a genuine joy where God goes deep, deep and does a transformation. Peter is able finally to move forward with confidence and with joy able to fully give himself to the sheep and the lambs of his congregation. I'm so excited, David, that in your class you're going to be studying both of Peter's letters in the coming weeks. 
Because there you see that. You see that deep commitment to the church, that deep joy. And it's a Peter who's being persecuted. And he speaks with confidence and joy. Because he let Jesus come in and heal and expose. Not to shame him, but to forgive him and to restore him. Those deep, broken places in him. Peter's lesson to us is to be healthy leaders. And healthy isn't just a physical fitness or knowing all the latest leadership skills. Those are helpful. But it's dealing with all of the... I can't say crap in church, can I? Stuff. Dealing with all the stuff. But you know what I mean. And some of you know deeply, deeply what I mean. Because you're dealing with yours or have dealt with yours or Jesus is calling you maybe now to deal with yours. Just a quick note. I put Peter's sacrifice in my outline here and I really don't have much time to deal with that. But what Jesus takes him to, right after his last feed my sheep, he turns then to Peter and basically tells him that he's going to be a martyr. Did you catch that? He's basically telling Peter, now that you are restored, you need to know that your all-out commitment to the gospel means you're going to die. And it's couched in the language of your arms will be stretched out, but in those days, arms stretched out meant on a cross. It meant crucifixion. And then John even explains for us that he said this to him to tell him of what kind of death he would die. You are going to be crucified, Peter. Legend has it, we don't know this from Scripture, but that Peter was crucified in Rome upside down on a cross by his choice. He did not count himself worthy to be crucified like his Savior and Master and Lord. Peter is being transformed by the love of Christ. So what is John getting at in these final 11 verses of the scripture here? The last few verses remind us again that this is all true, that there's witnesses to it. But what is he getting at here? He doesn't talk about the church here, but I really believe that's what he's getting at here. This is the work of the church now. Right here it is these, as I said earlier, this this great outline of fishing, feeding, and following, but that's it. And this is the point at which in my study this week I went, oh my goodness, we're... All of a sudden, we're done with John. What, what do I say? How do I wrap this up? Where is John sending us? What does this whole series call us to do? And I think what it's calling us to do is get to work, church. Just get to work. Don't sit back and go, well, we had a really great study of John. Now I know John better. I hope I learned some good things about the Psalms now. And hope have a good, I hope he has a few more funny things. Because I like it when there's funny things in Scott's sermons. That's okay. It's funny you should mention that. But anyway... Believe what he's saying here is get to work. Get to work. Enjoy, though, not out of obligation, not out of a a deep sense of hurt and shame that you have to cover up, but get to work because the love of God is real. And Jesus does change lives. And when we believe in him, he does give us life with a a new new kind of quality that there's no explaining until you begin to live it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that John proves is the one and only son in 20 verses, 20 chapters. They gave us one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, believe is central here. But so is the motivation and purpose of God and it is love. Yes, John is a gospel of truth and he upholds truth over and over again. But don't forget that truth and love and grace always go together in God's economy. It's a love that comes to us in Jesus. It's a love that transforms us and then it's a love that empowers us to love others with the love of God. 
And that's what it's really coming back to in these final verses. It's our work then is to be extending the love of Christ. As I said, this is John's version of the Great Commission. We're, our mission as a church is to extend the love of Christ. To know, love, serve, as we say here at Naprakov. Yes, it's the truth of who he is, but it's fired up by the love of Christ, which transforms us. We are called to the work of nurturing and equipping. And, and it's in the language and it's the imagery of sheep and lambs because that's what a lot of people did. They're either fishermen or they're shepherds. And so they could relate to that, that the sheep would die without the help of a shepherd. And it just reminds us of the opportunities for nurture that are, that are here for a church. It's a responsibility of us as church leaders to provide opportunities. But it's a responsibility because we're smarter than sheep and lambs. We need to learn how to be self-feeders too. We can never say, I'm not getting fed. Well, maybe you need to work on that. <laughs> And so that's the work of the church. And so we press into these opportunities for, for nurture and for equipping of one another. We met at 9 o'clock this morning. Several of you were able to be here for breakfast, pancake breakfast at 9. And then we, we talked about what's going to be happening in, in the children's program and in the youth program and opportunities for adults to learn both on Sunday morning as well as on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday for women and in small groups as well. There are opportunities to be nurtured and fed. And there's opportunities for you to be a, a volunteer to do some of that feeding and that nurturing. It's the work of the church, always motivated by the transforming love of Jesus. I love this final part that I just want to talk about for a few minutes about keeping our eyes on Jesus. See, Jesus is really working on Peter here. He's deepening his love. And we said that Peter's on his way and Peter, Peter's going to be okay. But Peter is just so human at this one moment that I identify with so well. This is where Jesus tells him, Peter, I love you. I'm changing your life. And you are going to respond with such love for me that you will die the same death that I died. You will be crucified. And Peter goes, wow. Is John going to die that way too? (laughs) Did you catch that? Here's Peter, just so profoundly moved by all this. And then he goes, what about him? What about that one? We think it's John. It's the disciple Jesus loved. And There's a whole thing of the dynamic of these two guys here that we can't go into. But here is Peter being so human. He's still on his way. I'm still on my way. I look at other pastors. Most of them are younger than me now. (laughs) And some of their churches are bigger. And some of them are a lot more organized, it would seem. And some of them have the leadership principles down. And Jesus says, would you knock it off? Forget about him. Jesus does this. This He's doing to Peter. (laughs) Maybe that's what we need. Maybe that's the final thing. What did you get out of the Gospel of John? (laughs) Maybe that's it, isn't it? But isn't that what he's saying here? What are the things that get our mind off of it? Get our eyes off of him. Our eyes get distracted to other people, to other ways of doing things. We get distracted by ourselves. Sometimes it's not the other person, but it's the person in the mirror that we need to get our eyes off of. Either what a wonderful person you are or how could God ever use you? We do everything at both ends of the spectrum and in between, don't we? You know who you are. You know which end you're drawn to. Whether it's control or laziness, or letting go, or dealing with all that stuff that starts with a C. I'll never say that word in church again. (laughs) But that's the stuff that gets our eyes off of him, doesn't it? And yet to do the work in the world that he calls us to, this vital work, this necessary work of sharing the love of Christ, we need to get our eyes on him. 
We need to take responsibility for ourselves. We need to do this nurturing work. We need to get at the feet of Jesus. We need to come face to face with the love of Christ. Sometimes we might even need some professional help because some of that stuff in the box we cannot unlock on our own. But we need to be free to that, forgiven of that, and get the new perspective and move forward in the transforming love of Christ. John says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And not just you, but those that you love and care for too would have life in his name. It's a call to the church. It's the work of the church. I love it that we're finishing on Communion Sunday. I didn't plan that. Somebody else must have. (laughs) Because the table becomes that place of, doesn't it? This is Jesus right here. This is the gift he gave us. The invitation he gave us to come and trust him and be transformed by his love. This is a grace table. This says we don't deserve forgiveness, but Jesus gives it anyway. This is a, a table that says there was great sacrifice, great price paid on his Part that we do not pay a price, but simply believe and trust and follow him. So there's a lot of stuff the table can say to you today. Here's your multiple choice list, okay? Come to the table. First of all, maybe this is it. Ready to proclaim Christ as Savior and Lord of life. Maybe you've done that before. Maybe you haven't. But that's what it says. I'm, I'm going to believe. I'm going to put my faith in him. I'm going to believe. And receiving communion today is my commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've prayed a prayer as a child or a camp or whatever, you've recommitted 30 times. But if this is the day to say, I really want to follow you now, let the table be that today. Maybe some of the stuff that I talked about is some of the hidden stuff, the broken stuff, the shameful stuff, the angry stuff, the controlling stuff, whatever it stirs in you, maybe you're feeling that God's saying, and the second one is you're ready to receive his transforming love and grace. Not to say, isn't it great that God loves me, even though if I were him, I wouldn't. <laughs> but to let him come in and heal those things. May the table just needs to be a place of healing today and restoration. Or maybe you're motivated in terms of the work of the church and the work of this church, that we're ready to make, a, make or renew a commitment to the church and its mission. Unfortunately, these days we get to this point where we go, I love Jesus, I love the Bible, I love the word, I love learning, but boy, that church is a mess and I don't want anything to do with it. Well, you know what? There's, you don't have that option because when you come to Christ, you've got a bunch of brothers and sisters. And, and we're called to the church and we're called to its commitment. We are called to continually bring, bringing the change and the renewal to the church that it needs in our day. And I see that rising in our midst. I see a, a new hopefulness right here, uh, making a commitment to the church and its mission. Or mainly, the fi- maybe the final thing is simply to come to the table and say, I'm ready to follow. Because that's Jesus' final words, really, to Peter are, you just follow me. Eyes on me and follow pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this table, for what it represents, for what it says, for what it is. Your very presence with us and your grace available to each of us. Thank you, Lord, for this time in this Gospel of John. Thank you for motivating your dear child, John, to pen these words and to be so careful about what he wrote to prove who you are, Jesus, and to draw us this place of life change and of transforming love. 
Lord, I pray for each one of my sisters and each one of my brothers this morning as we approach the table or as the elements come to us. You would call us, which one of these things do we really need to do as we receive? Lord, do your work in each of our hearts and lives. Help us to open up those boxes and give it to you for the healing, the forgiveness, restoration, whatever it is that we need. And help us to keep our eyes on you. And help us as a church, Lord, to be bold, to not be afraid, but to be those who extend the love of Christ. We thank you and we praise you in your name, Lord. Amen.